0: Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Build. We're in this, I think, week five. Um, And so we are going to start um, this morning uh, with our doing, looking at our disciplines for Build. And so this is something that we normally will do. We haven't done it this year because it's been a little bit of a different year with rearranging schedules. We'll do a little bit more of our rearranging schedules this morning. Um, We are going to first do a time of disciplines. And then Tom Angstead is going to come up and and he's going to lead us this morning. Um, and then we will dismiss to discussion groups afterwards. Um, so that'll be how this morning will go. Um, but if, if you can, if you can go ahead and uh, turn over your binders to the back side of your build notebooks, uh, you'll see that we have our five build disciplines on the back. And so we want to talk through that this morning. And Sorry, a lot of stuff up here. And so every morning, uh, really for the rest of the year, what we want to do is we are going to look at our build disciplines and kind of talk through what it is, what is it that we're after in build. And so we'll do that from really here for the rest of the year. And then each week we'll probably take a, have more of a focus in one particular area and talk through that and how that relates to the disciplines as a whole. Uh, But I want to just introduce myself a little bit. I know most of you, uh, there's at least one person in there that I'm seeing that I I don't think I've met them. So my name is Ben James. Um, My wife and I came to the church in 2007, and I think my first year of build was 2008. I've probably done it seven or eight times since then. Um, Just thrilled to be able to to be a part of this ministry. It's just been a ministry that has so benefited me in my own life. I I think I came in, and I was ready um, to—I felt like I knew the Bible. I felt like I knew Scripture. I felt like I knew theology, and I was ready to debate somebody on any doctrine. Now, I had a far-inflated view of my own understanding of Scripture, but at least—well, that's aside from that. um, But what was so impressed upon me the first year sitting through Build was, wow, these truths that I know are supposed to impact my own heart and they need to have an impact upon my own family and how I'm shepherding and 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 there was such a a hole there that um, just I was so benefited from this ministry opening up with focus week in and week out on the disciplines of what does it mean to shepherd my own heart? What does it mean to be a leader in my home? And uh, so I I love this ministry. I have an affection for this ministry because of the way that the Lord has used it in my own life. Um, And so this morning we want to do that. We want to talk through what is Build All about, um, even though we're five weeks in. And it really it exists as our first layer of men's equipping ministries. And on the back, you'll see it's, it's building the disciplines of faithful leaders. Uh, we have five disciplines that we're focusing on. The first one is the faithful leader that shepherds his heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God. Right, The heart is really you from that inner, inward perspective. At one point, it could have been called the old man. Uh, now it, it is a new man, very much unlike the old condition. We talked to that when we were looking through the biblical transformation of man. The old man is that unmixed condition. Uh, the new condition is a mixed condition. This new condition, we have new desires, new loves, desires to obey. But it also has indwelling sin remaining. The new man, therefore, requires diligent shepherding. Because if you do nothing, indwelling sin will poison everything. In heaven, we won't need to care for our hearts. Now, we must. Before Christ, we couldn't lead ourselves away from what we were. We couldn't evaluate ourselves. We were bound and caught up in who we were as slaves of sin. But now, now we can we can see in God's Word and I can tell myself what to think based upon what is in God's Word. I can instruct my heart. Before I was a slave to my thoughts and desires, but now we, we are in a brand new condition. And we can't go back to what we were. Right? That old condition was dead, it was buried, it was crucified. It doesn't get off the cross and come back if we're in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ and Christ, Yet we must shepherd that inner person. And God gave us the tool to do that, primarily His Word. And we're not just after theological knowledge, biblical facts, truths, details, but we are after getting to the God of the Word. Because that's that's why He made us, for Himself. He saved us to Himself, and the best that we can get is Him when we come to his word and his revelation of himself in his word. So we are to shepherd our hearts with the word of God so that we might get to the God of the word. And this is where we prioritize the men, having a plan to read through all of God's word, cover to cover, while they're in build. So we might see how God has revealed himself in all of Scripture and not just in our favorite parts of Scripture. And this leads us to our second discipline, The home. Whether you're shepherding your heart well with God's word or not, the home is that first place that is going to experience the impact of your faithfulness and shepherding your heart. Um, we spent the first uh, few weeks looking at the biblical transformation of man. Uh, Scott led us a couple weeks ago looking at the heart. And today, Tom is going to be speaking to us about the home. So we we'll want him to can cover more of that territory. But the third discipline is the ministry. The, the the man who is faithful, he's been shepherding his heart well with God's word. He's concerned for those in his home and is shepherding those in his home toward God with the word of God. That man, that man's a well equipped <clears throat> to be able to step into GBC, the GBC family, and shepherd others with God's word and point others toward the Lord with His word. Right. This is a man that's not just a, a, a phrase that we heard. If you um, that was, really has been shared a lot in our church is playing leapfrog. This is not a man who's just trying to play leapfrog right over his family to get right into ministry. No, he's been caring well for his heart. He's been caring well for his, for his home. And that's the type of man that is well-equipped to be a leader and to be able to step into ministry and care, with, uh, care for others with God's Word, whether that's in the small group, whether that's through deacon ministry, a variety of ministries. The man that's well-equipped to do that is one who cares well for his heart, cares well for those in his home. Uh, The women in Wellspring, have the the women's ministry, have these same first three disciplines, which is where we'll give most of our attention this year. Uh, But we have a couple extras that are important for men that are pursuing faithful leadership in their homes in the church. And that fourth one is... Qualifications, the faithful leader prayerfully pursues the character of a qualified deacon or elder in the church according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. So really this fourth discipline about the qualifications is really spelling out the first three qualifications. Deacon, elder qualification. You can look at most of the qualifications, particularly for a deacon, and think, okay, this one has to do with a man inwardly, his heart. This one has to deal with his his Involvement in his home And this one really Is focused on his externals with with others uh, Possibly others outside the church And so we want men Qualified to lead In ministry in the body of Christ And qualification Doesn't just happen Um, You can see that in churches If men are not intentional With their own hearts They don't just grow into ministry leaders You have to focus You have to discipline Fight sin in the church we must fight to go against the grain of our flesh the world and advance towards leadership both in our homes and in the church and so we want we want men to be able to be measured by these qualifications and so for that reason it's it's a worthwhile pursuit even if men would never be a deacon in this church or never be an elder in this church it is a worthwhile pursuit because these these are things that all believers not just men all believers are called to be and so we'll talk through, there are ways that we can we'll talk in future weeks about how we can put those in front of us on a regular basis, those deacon and elder qualifications that we might be in our prayer lives in our our time in the word we might be pursuing intentionally these disciplines or these these qualifications in our life and lastly, discipline five is the, the hermeneutic, the faithful leader disciplines himself to carefully interpret the word of God to discover what God meant by what God said in his word So Discipline 5 is all about how we handle God's Word, how we interpret God's Word. If we're going to the Word to get the God of the Word, we need to make sure that we are reading it for what it really says, what God really meant by it, and that when we represent it to others, that we're representing it rightly. So we want to focus on how we interpret the Word of God in the Bible. And this is really the focus of the trust, but it will, it will get a little bit of a taste of it in here. But we also get a, get a taste of it each and every time that we come here and we sit under the teaching of God's Word. Each time somebody comes up here and opens God's Word for us, uh, they're demonstrating what does it mean to, to read God's Word and to derive the details from that text. You know, men, men aren't here to share their own wisdom, but to share and, re- and point us to what is actually there in God's Word already. So that's that's the, that's what we're going to be about um, in this ministry so we want to just kind of put our put our eyes on on all these on all five of these disciplines that we as men ought to be pursuing um, you're gonna be discouraged at points and you're if you're like me um, you're one you're three you're six you're gonna hear and see from God's word and going to be potentially discouraged that my life doesn't look like what Scripture is pointing that it needs to. Um, we know that, and we want to come alongside you and be an encouragement to you. Um, if if you feel like you don't even know what that looks like, we just encourage you. You know, talk to talk to your just talk to one of the leaders in here. Talk to your discussion group leader. Um, as as we go about pursuing these, we've got our discussion groups uh, intentionally putting you next to to other men who are. Learning these same things, who are weekly evaluating their own hearts before the Lord as they work through their homework, is don't be afraid to to grab one of the guys in your discussion group and say, you know what, I'm having a hard time with this. Can we just can we just get together? Can we just like maybe maybe we can just read the Bible together out loud, um, and you know that that would be that would just be helpful, a fruitful time together. Um, as you come to the Word of God. As you come to the Lord in prayer, you know, particularly as we talk about a reading plan, you might have been one who's done a cover-to-cover reading plan every year for twenty years. Um, this might be your first time doing reading through the entirety of Scripture. Whether it's so whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, um, what I would just encourage you: don't just read the account and think, "I've read this already." But instead. Pray to the Lord, Lord, God. Would you surprise me once again, with with how you orchestrated the events of this text? Even a text that you're not even mentioned in. When I see that the Lord is sovereign over stopping men or raising others, and He's not even He's not even mentioned, but yet He's sovereign over that. Stop and pause and give each other help in that way. We just encourage you to come alongside one another in your group. Um, so, so with that, we're going to turn over to Tom's. Going to come up. All right. Okay. Seven twenty-three, and I'm rolling.
1: I'm going to be upfront with you. The lesson I'm bringing today, I stole this idea from a uh, ACBC conference. That's Association of Certified Biblical Counselors conference from a couple years ago, and, and the message was taught by a boy in this echo. I think I need an ear doctor. Is there an ear doctor in the house? Okay. Uh, it was taught by a pastor from the Fort Worth, Texas area. His name is Keith Christensen. But this, this lesson highlights one of our biblical convictions. Uh, the conviction is taught in our membership class. How many are already members of Grace Bible Church? Okay, then you got it down. I don't need to say anything more. I can just close in prayer. Uh, no, but for those that haven't been in our membership, this, this is one of our convictions. It's listed under on our website under who we are, biblical convictions. It's biblical conviction number seven. It's biblical manhood and womanhood in our church. Um, this discipline explains the difference between men and women and the equality in men and women before God. Uh, for, I know for all of us, we come into, some of you in here not even married, but you, you will go into being a husband based on experience. I know my experience, I was, I was saved about seven years after being married. And in the type of manhood that I brought into my marriage was I need to be a good provider, and that's true. But that's not all that God has for us in God's Word. Uh, there, there's aspects of what God calls husbands to be that just wasn't in my experience that I got to witness. For some of you, it might be the same. It might be, for some of you, maybe you didn't even have a presence in the home. But but God's word is so clear and so helpful in understanding what his expectation is for us as men. As I go through the lesson today, and you'll see four categories, there's four areas of scripture that I'm going to highlight. It's the nature of the husband's authority, The context of the husband's authority, the manner of authority, and the aim of authority. And with that, let me pray before we dive into this. And uh, I'm just going to beg the Lord for clarity as I speak. So will you pray with me? Lord, Father, I I praise you, Lord, for being a great God. Lord, thank you for giving us your word that we can know you. We can know what's pleasing. Lord, our aim as men is to live for your glory. Our aim as husbands is to do it for your glory. Lord, may my words be clear. May I be just helpful. And Lord, may you have the glory in everything that comes out of my mouth today. And I pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. All right. As we get started on the nature of the husband's authority, go to Genesis chapter 1 the very front of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. In the first three chapters of Genesis, God clearly teaches the design for husbands and wives at creation. From Genesis, we can learn our responsibility to God, to our wife, and to our family. An understanding of of the ideal marriage at creation will give us a foundation to understand what our marriages should look like and as as we look at Genesis chapter 1 through 3 I want to point something out to you when, when you read Gen, the first three chapters of Genesis the first chapter is a very high flyover it, it's like 30,000 feet that the writer is flying over the creation story and when you get this to, to chapter 2 it's a much much lower and some of the things that were already discussed in chapter 1 are discussed again, but at a very much a ground level. So I want you to understand, uh, in chapter 1 here, it's, it's truly a flyover. And I'm even going to do a flyover, the flyover of the creation story, because I just want to talk about marriage. So here, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Before sin, God gives responsibility at creation. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So so God's very clear that he has created a male and a female. He he refers to them in the plural, them. There's a plurality there I want you to catch. In verse 28, the, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You, you see in verse 28, God equally gives Adam and Eve a responsibility verse 29 we continue on and God said behold i give i have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree has fruit yielding seed it shall be food for you and the very beast and every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. I want you to see in verses 29 and verse 30, that you is plural. God is given equally to both men and women. But moving ahead in the creation story in in chapter 2, verse 5, and and here's where we now are going from a 30,000-foot elevation, and we're getting much lower, because some of what I've already read from chapter one is now highlighted a bit closer in chapter two. I'm going to read from chapter two, verse five, now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. In in the next two verses, 6 and 7, God creates these rivers. It's an ultimate irrigation system, and he creates man from from dust. And you get to verse 8, Then the Lord, God, planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed man Whom he had formed out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil so from verses 5 8 and 9 man is placed in the garden to work and cultivate the ground And everything about the garden, catch this, is pleasing. The garden was sufficient for happiness. The the garden was sufficient for food. What I want you to see that from verse 9, that before sin entered the world, Adam, man, had a job. What was the job Adam was given? To take care of the garden, to cultivate the garden. Why? Because it's good for pleasure. Man's job here is for cultivating what is for pleasure, for good, for well-being, and it is good for food. God tells the man, take care of this, Because in your care for what I am giving you, there is pleasure and there is happiness. Think about this for a second. God has given Adam what is needed and the responsibility to care for what is needed, for providing pleasure and for providing food. I think we would all agree that God just gave man a huge responsibility if you consider what what God has called Adam to do, we as men have been given a huge responsibility. Recognize this, at this point the woman hasn't even been created and God gave man this responsibility to work and care for the garden and it was designed that it would be for pleasure and it would be for food. And I'm fast forwarding now Verse 16 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree in the garden you may eat freely. So God has given counsel to Adam. God gives the command to Adam, the responsibility of providing what God is saying, that he has created for pleasure, what he has created for food. And he also counsels man what he should not eat. He, he tells him what he's not to eat. And so in verse 22, we see that God creates women, and they lived happily ever after the end. Yeah. No, that's not how the end goes. But after he created the woman, in chapter 2, verse 24... God counsels the man and the woman of how they are to live. Read with me chapter, verse 24 and 25. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I I want to do a really fast review. Uh, God creates everything. And God gives equal dominion at creation. God gives equal instruction to be fruitful and multiply. God gives equal responsibility, be united, be one flesh. But God gives man the responsibility to provide for happiness, for well-being, for food meant our leadership is a God-given responsibility. May we lead in a manner that brings God glory. And if at this point you disagree with what I brought from Scripture, you can talk to me afterwards, but let's move ahead. In chapter 3, enters the crafty one, here comes the serpent. Eve is tempted in verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from it the fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate and there is where sin enters the world and I want to point this out Adam is given a God-given role to cultivate to be the caretaker of the garden What should Adam have done with the serpent? Anybody? Crushed him. him. Adam should have crushed the serpent. But Adam has failed to do what God has called him to do, to provide for the well-being of his wife. The husband, the man, was called to provide for the wife's well-being and her pleasure, and Adam failed. The aim of it is for ongoing enjoyment in God's gifts and spiritual enjoyment. Headship is about responsibility, responsibility before God. Headship is not about privilege. When a husband considers the weight of responsibility, that God has given them. Men, we should tremble. This is a responsibility. I have met met some men that like to do the happy dance that they are the ones in charge and it's their their way or the highway. This was not God's design for the husband. God's design for a husband was protector, provider, and the one that provides spiritual direction. Adam in the garden had the opportunity to provide spiritual direction in in crushing the serpent. He didn't lead. Before we go to the ideal marriage from the New Testament, I I want to make sure that I've been clear on on at least two things here. Go back to chapter 1, verse 28. I think many men misuse authority that is God has given them. And, and I think they, they, it's like it's a rewrite of verse 28. I have dealt with many men that believe verse 28 says, God blessed the man. And God said to the man, uh, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it rule over it rule over the fish rule over the birds over every living thing that moves on the earth that was equally given to men and women that is plural god blessed them and the second thing i want to point out is that men and women clearly have areas of equality in creation and men and women clearly have different roles. Men, we have the responsibility to provide both food, happiness, spiritual direction in our homes. The ideal marriage in the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 5. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Now I'm going to pick it up in the, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Men, I firmly believe... That if we are doing our role, a godly wife will sacrifice. She will desire to submit. She will sacrifice for the good of marriage, for for men that are leading in a godly way. I want you to see that the husband, in a primary way, is responsible for happiness and holiness for his wife and for his whole family. Man, this is a, a God given responsibility. Continuing on in verse twenty-five, husbands love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word with but by, by the washing of, of water with the word. Husband, it's the primary responsibility to love your wife. And scripture clearly explains how we are to do that. And what you see there in verse 25, just as Christ loved and gave himself up. This is a call to sacrifice for for our wife, for, for happiness, for enjoyment, for provision. Jesus loved sacrificially to the point of death. and men we are we are called to love our wives in the same way and verse 26 also describes that this love is a sanctifying love men we are have a primary responsibility to love our wives that they would be growing in sanctification this is a god-given responsibility continuing in verse 27 that he might present to himself that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Again, we see in verse 27 the responsibility to love our wives in a manner that God has given us responsibility to care for their health, their happiness, their sanctification, without spot, without wrinkle. Verse 28. So the husband ought to also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Men, I know how much we love ourselves. We love our comfort. Uh, do we care about the comfort of the others around us? Do we care about the good of others around us? Verse 30, because we're all members in his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This great, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Did any of you see the difference between the ideal marriage in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Did anybody catch what one difference is? It's the call for the husband to sacrifice. In the same way that Christ willingly, voluntarily sacrificed, the husband is called to sacrifice. Our leadership in the home, man, is not something to be celebrated, that we have the upper hand. Our our leadership is a responsibility, it's a God-given responsibility to do it for the glory of God. Christ being the head, and and getting ahead of myself here, but there's one other picture in the New Testament uh, of marriage, and it's in Revelation chapter 19, and and it's Christ being the head and reigning with him. We won't be reigning under him. Scripture says we'll be reigning with him. What a responsibility! The third thing I want to talk about in the nature is, it's, this is distinguished, the, the husband's authority is distinguished from other God-given authorities. Uh, we're still talking about nature, but not all of God's given authority operates the same way. The husband's authority is very different than God's authority. And you might say, well, Tom, that's really obvious. I don't think some husbands act like they recognize there's a difference. I I know I've counseled husbands that thought they were God. But there's nowhere in scripture that a husband can get the idea that he is God of his home. The husband is the head bearing the burden of the primary responsibility before God, not be a God. The husband authority is not absolute. It's not the ultimate. Unlike other God-given authorities, a husband's role has limits. But you don't see, with with parenting, God gives the rod. With the government, God gives the sword. With the church, God gives church discipline. The, the God-given authority to parents, government, and the church is different than what the husband's given, but it's for the good that they have authority over. But nowhere in Scripture does the husband have this type of authority. Husbands, our authority is for the good, the health, the happiness, the holiness of those the husband has authority over. A husband's authority does not come with an or else. Where a parent, the government, or the church's authority does have an or else, there can be a consequence. A wife's submission is voluntarily, never forced, never demanded. And a godly husband will seek to lead by teaching, by wooing, by example, to make it clear that he understands her and that he really cares about her happiness her holiness and her well-being. One more thing, I, I think this is interesting as we talk and build a lot about men that strive for the, the character qualification found in scripture for the elder. In First Timothy chapter 3, uh, it's a, one of the sections of scripture that talk about the character of the elder. Verse 4, and you can turn there if you want, you don't need to. I'm sure this will be familiar with you. But I'm going to read verse 4. It says, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. I think it's really, really interesting that God's word expects men to manage their households well, keeping their children under control. God doesn't tell men to keep their wives under control. Yeah. Scripture clearly distinguishes different authority for husband than it does for parents, for the government, and for the church. And, and a husband needs to lead with all dignity. It's what verse 4 of 1 Timothy 3 says. I, I hope you see the foundation that we've laid and what the Bible says the nature of our authority is, and now I want to talk about the context, and that would be the second point. And, and I'm going to be really, really brief here, and hopefully clear in my brevity. Uh, but the the context of authority is in marriage. And you might say, well, I already figured that out from what you're talking about, Tom, but I don't want there to be any confusion about this, because Scripture says something very interesting about about marriage, and and here's the context I want you to catch. The mystery of marriage is that two become one. The context is this one flesh. The one flesh understanding in Scripture is seven times in Scripture it describes marriage as one flesh. And I'm just going to give you the verses really quick. We're not going to go there. Genesis 2:24, Matthew 19, verse 5, Matthew 19, verse 6, Mark 10, 8, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39, and Ephesians 5, 31. God, God has given the design of marriage, the context of marriage, to becoming one flesh. A quote from Stuart Scott, his book, the *Exemplary Husband*. Authority is only one aspect in our relationship with our wives. We are also partners and companions. Most men dwell on the authority too much, and I think that's true, man. I I, I, I have found that in the counseling room, and the third point on your your outline is the manner of the husband's authority and uh, I think it's only appropriate I have if you haven't caught it I have used the word responsible responsibility many times the first manner of the husband's authority is, is a is to be responsible It's fitting to talk about the manner of a husband's authority and start with responsibility. He's responsible because the husband's primary responsibility is to direct the wife and his family in a God-glorifying direction. His responsibility is to secure well-being for his family. So the husband, first of all, should begin with being responsible. If you go back to the garden back in Genesis chapter 3 I want to talk, highlight responsibility from what we see in Genesis 3:11 and 12 and this is God speaking to Adam and he said who told you you were naked God asked and Adam asked Adam have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat Remember, God gave Adam the command. He didn't give Adam and Eve the command. He gave Adam the command. How how should Adam have responded when God said, did you eat? Then a responsible Adam would have said, he would have owned it and said, it's my fault, God. I I didn't crush the serpent. I didn't stop her. Lord, I knew what you wanted and I didn't do it no that's not what adam said in verse 12 the woman you gave me she gave it to me and i ate do you see adam missed he wasn't responsible and and blame shifting is not a spiritual gift although many of us do it really well but it's not a spiritual gift But Adam should have, he should have taken responsibility for Eve's eating it as well. God, it's my fault. You know, godly husbands point the finger at themselves. If if the current state of your marriage is not in a good place, a godly husband's going to look in the mirror and say, this is on me. He's going to say, God, help me. God, give me wisdom. The husband's going to take the initiative to to bring change where and when change is needed. The second point under the manner is it sacrificial? And you see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Sacrificing might not have been what you expected when you said, I do. But husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are, we are sacrificing in the same way. The third point is, is to be loving, and that's Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, and I'm going to add Colossians 3, 19 if you're taking notes, but marriage is not to be, marriage is to be marked by love Love that is obvious to your wife. Uh, It's not helpful if I just think I'm being loving to my wife and she wouldn't have a clue that I'm acting in a loving way. Love is the most prominent command in Scripture to the husband to have real affection for our wives. Colossians 3.19, I, I, I think it's really needed to be added here. And it's love your wife and do not be embittered towards her. I know I counsel a lot of men that I just seem to be very bitter towards their spouses. Men, if you've become embittered towards your wife, you need to confess her the sin. You need to repent and you need to, you need to be pursuing your wife. You need to just be compassionately pursuing her. Just one closing thought on, on the third point here on loving. It is from Proverbs 5.18. Wisdom says, God's wisdom says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Our wives are to be enjoyed. A, a wise man will work on his marriage that there is an enjoyment. The fourth point is... D would be knowledgeable, knowledgeable, and that is First Peter three, verse seven. And it says, "You husbands, in the same way, and that in the same way goes back to the previous chapter, First Peter two twenty-two. The same way is how Christ loved, how how Christ knew." In the same way, live with your wife in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. This understanding way is according to knowledge. Knowledge of your particular wife. Not a knowledge of women in general, but of your particular wife. Our wives are very different. We need to know our particular wife. You need to know her season of life. You need to know what's hard for her in this season of life. What's a blessing to her. Again, this is just not a general knowledge. It's a particular knowledge. Do, Do you know what your wife is praying for? If you're not married, you should know what your wife is praying for. Do you know what she's reading, what she's intaking, both biblically and outside of Scripture? Do you know who her her friends are, who she's spending time with? The fifth point is to be honorable and tender. And again, it's two verses I've already highlighted, 1 Peter 3.7 and Colossians 3.19. Honor her is the status of God's daughter. Honor her. Don't be embittered. The next point is not lording over. This is just a picture. Don't be domineering. You don't want to run roughshod over your spouse. The next point is not self-serving. But serving, and verses to consider would be Mark 10, 42 through 45, John 13, 1 through 17. Uh, serving, not self-serving, a husband leads as a servant. A husband that leads as a servant is a godly head. The key distinction between a godly and ungodly is the person in authority is really seeking the good of those that are under their authority. If you are a godly head, you care about the well-being of those under you. If you're acting in an ungodly way, you're only wanting your way. You don't care about those that you have authority over. It's interesting. I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 12. I, I want just to... If you had the opportunity to read through the Bible, uh, this is probably something you have read before. It's one of those chapters to me just kind of stood out the first time I read it and said, wow. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. I, I want to I take us there because I want you to see the type of authority that God condemned. In, in 1 Kings, it's Rehoboam Bowen, succeeds after his father Solomon. Jeroboam and the assembly come to Rehoboam in verse 4, and they make a request of the new king. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 4, 1 Kings chapter 4. Your father, speaking of Solomon, made our yoke hard and therefore lightened the, lightened the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, depart from me three days, return to me. So the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served with Father Solomon while he was still living, saying, how do you counsel me to answer these people? In verse 7, the elders speak to Rehoboam, uh, and they, he, they say, I will, if you will, be a servant to this people today, they will s- and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servant forever. But Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the elders for which he was given and he consulted with the younger men who he grew up with and he says to them, what counsel do you give me in that way? On the verse 9, and he answered the people who had spoken to him, saying, Lighten the loads of the Father put on us. And the young men who grew up with Rehoboam spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to the people you spoke to, saying, Your Father made our yoke heavy. Now your yoke... I'm really messing this up because the lighting is just kind of blind and glaring on this. But your, your Father made our yoke heavy. Now make... It lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is think, thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father's load, you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Verse 12, Jeroboam, all the people came to Rehoboam and on the third day and the people as the king directed the people, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, and he forsook the advice of the elders which had been given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplines you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. If you're familiar with the story, do you know what happened next? The kingdom fell apart. It collapsed. Being a servant in servanthood is not exactly the same thing. And and the next point is affirming. And that's from Proverbs 31, 28-31. A godly husband will lead with affirmation. And I'm going to read to you Proverbs 31, 28, through 31 Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised give her the product of of her hands and let her work let her works praise her in the gates a woman who fears the lord should be praised a godly husband will look for ways to affirm their wives uh, a godly husband will look for evidences of god's grace to to highlight to point out in the last uh, section there on your, your outline is the aim of the husband's authority. The, the first thing I want to highlight in the aim is a wife's flourishing. A wife's flourishing as a wife. Uh, a wife's flourishing as a godly woman. And the verse I would want you to consider is 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. And I I will read it to you. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over me righteously, who rules in the fear of God, verse 4, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises a morning without clouds when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain Uh, it this is a poem that's talking about living under godly authority men we should be leading in the same way that our wives would be saying what verse 4 states is as light as a morning when the sun rises A morning without clouds. It is our responsibility, men, that our wives are flourishing in their walk with the Lord. God has placed the burden of responsibility on the husband that the wives should be flourishing. Our wives should be growing in the Lord, in character, relationship, relationships in the church, a, a wife should be flourishing in her joy, like the example our our Savior Jesus gave us. The husband would give his life away, that those he has leadership over would live life more fully. That's the picture that, of Christ. It's authority in our life. I would, the aim is the wife's splendor, and that's Ephesians five 27. We've read it, I'll read it again. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, splendor, or any such thing, but as she, as she would be holy and blameless. God has given the husband the responsibility when the wife is presented to the Lord, it's without spot, without wrinkle, with, with splendor. Uh, man, we have a responsibility to care for our wives well. And, and the last point on the aim of the husband's authority is to glorify and pleasure God. The the ultimate aim in our marriage is God's glory. It's not our comfort. It's not our financial well being. It's God's glory. The ultimate aim is God's glory. The husband glorifies God by being like Christ. Am I treating my wife in the same way, way that Christ treated the church? Am I willing to sacrifice? That, that love is a, a sacrificial and sanctifying love. When you consider Christ's love and, and sacrifice, two verses that come to mind, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son to, to die. There's a sacrifice. In John 17, in, in the Lord's Prayer, is, it's a sanctifying love. Men, our, our goal as husbands must be to glorify God and to please Him. I want to uh, close with uh, one more verse. and It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commands because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. Men, we, we stand before a good God who has given us clear instruction. One more. I'm going to recommend this book and due to the number of copies we have sold here, you probably already own it. Uh, Stuart Scott's book, The Exemplary Husband, uh, there's something I want to point out from here, and if you don't own the book and you just want this, send me an email and I will send it to you, but Appendix Chapter 6 is is—it's a leadership worksheet. It's a tool for greater understanding and establishing new habits. If you don't have this book, I would recommend it. It's a great read. This chapters really stand on its own, on their own, where you can just read a chapter. You don't need to read it from cover to cover. You can kind of skip around for whatever you're you're looking for particular growth. But Appendix Chapter 6 is just a great, great, probably six-page thought of, uh, of just how to do these things in a practical way in our homes. I can't believe I got finished.